on projection? Are we okay on projection? Cool. I just can't see anything up there, that's all. Well, good morning, everyone. It's uh, really good to see you all here. And it's amazing how quickly the year goes by. Um, and uh, one of the things that we uh, try and do as part of our um, routine in the year is give opportunities to people for people who don't normally hear about Jesus, to hear about Jesus. And um, the first, um, well, or I better not say the first, but the next, the next event that's coming up, or an event that's coming up for everyone, is the quiz. And Hannah's got a few uh, words to share about that. Yep, so just a quick announcement about the quiz. It's uh, happening again this year. A lot of you might remember it from previous years, but it's had to stop for a bit. So back on, um, on the 18th of March. And there are three ways which we can be helping out. So uh, the first one is invite. So it's um, an evangelistic event. It's for us to invite other people along to. Um, we're thinking in home group, a lot of us recently, about ways we could share uh, the gospel of Jesus with our colleagues and friends. And this might be a really good um, option for you. So it's teams of up to eight. Um, the details are all on the uh, slide, and we've got some invites out in the entrance hall about how we uh, invite people along. It's good to get the teams in by the 11th of March, so not that long. Um, but it, it might be a really good uh, first event for people to come along to. There'll be a really short talk that Josh Young is hoping to do, um, and, yeah, it might be a really good way of inviting your friends along to a church event. Um, so that's the first thing is invite. Second thing is puddings. I'm hoping to serve puddings, but we need pudding makers. So if that's something that you can do, there is a list in the entrance hall to sign up your name and what you can bring. That would be great. And uh, finally, uh, prayer. If we could all be praying for the event, uh, we need the Holy Spirit to work. Pray for our our friends as we invite them. Uh, Pray for Josh and pray for those who are organising it. If you've got any questions at all, then uh, Mark Philpott is the person to go to with them. Thank you. Thanks very much. Now, in the world that we're in at the moment, there's a lot going on. A lot of um, bad things going on. And, and I guess perhaps some people, perhaps we're saying, well, why doesn't God do something? This morning we've uh, got one part of that answer. God has done something. God has done something that if you were to have written it down and you'd had no contact with Christianity, you would class as outrageous. You would say it was amazing. It was just not in the minds of humans to think of what God's done. And it's great that we're going to be looking at that as John teaches us from God's word. But the other part of it is God will do something. God has done something, but God will do something. And that's something that is really important for us to grab hold of. As we look at the wickedness that's going on in the world, both at the big national level, as innocent people are being killed, as their countries being invaded, but also in, in our lives, as we see the results of selfishness, as we see the bad things that are happening. The Bible tells us that one day, everyone 
That includes everyone here. That includes Putin. That includes every world leader. That includes everyone who's ever lived will stand before King Jesus. Well, actually, they won't stand. They'll bow. The big question is, how many of those people will be ready? How many will be glad to bow? I hope many of us are, and that's the theme of our first song. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess him king of glory then. Let's stand and worship our God.
Our first reading this morning is from Luke chapter 23, verses 26 to 38. And as they led him away, they seized one, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren, and the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things, when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others, who were criminals, were led away to be put to death. And when they came to the place that is called the Skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. Thanks, Tom. And uh, John's going to be explaining that to us later. But now it's time for the children's talk. So if the children would like to come up the front. Good morning, children. Good to see you again. And uh, this morning, I thought I'd bring back our castle, which we looked at eight weeks ago. Who'd have believed it was eight weeks ago? And um, so I was wondering if across that time, perhaps you've remembered uh, the verse that's to do with this castle. Can you remember the word? There's a big, big ask. Can you remember eight weeks ago what, what this verse was? all part of it. And it begins with the name Something to do with a place of safety, a place of strength. Let's have it up on the wall, shall we? See it again. Do you remember that now? The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. Do you remember that verse? Yeah? And we looked at what that really meant about running into God's name. What did that mean? Uh, so that people could feel safe. And we started to understand that it talks about God's character who he is, what he is like we find, it's like running into a strong castle for safety uh, knowing what God is like and we looked how that God knows everything we looked how that God is in charge and how that God is always good and there are truths about God's character which make us feel safe 
which help us to trust in him. So just two this morning I want us to look at. Okay? And there are two things that God doesn't do. Okay? Two things that God doesn't do. Who would like to put the first one up for us? Yeah, go on then, Annie. Okay, here's our first one. If you put that underneath, God is good. Okay, cool, good. God never sleeps. God never sleeps. So imagine on our castle, at night time, there's going to be the night watch, aren't there? There's going to be people patrolling across the castle walls so that people inside the castle can be safe and be fast asleep. Because they know that someone's out on the watch, if anyone, if the enemy is coming, if attack's on its way, uh, there's going to be soldiers watching. Now, it wouldn't be any good if they all just fell asleep, would it? They all just nodded off, which would be an easy thing to do because it's dark and they're tired and it doesn't look like there's anyone about. They'd go to sleep. Then the people really wouldn't be that safe. No one's on watch. Well, it's not like that with God. He is always awake. And I expect that probably for your kind of age group, you lot, all of our things we're afraid of and all of our fears and worries seem to tumble on us at night time, don't they, when we're, we can't get to sleep because we're, we're worried about something that happened with our friends at school. We're worried about going to school. Uh, we're worried about things around us. And things look really big at night time, don't they? Our worries look like big mountains. And, um, and perhaps another thing, I know somebody who doesn't like to be the last person to sleep. So if they can't get to sleep... Um, go tiptoe out, check that mum and dad are still awake because it would be terrible if the whole house was asleep and I was left awake Okay, perhaps you feel like that sometimes perhaps you can't get to sleep because you're worried and afraid well the Bible tells us that God never sleeps he's always aware of what's going on so when we're afraid at night time we can talk to him, I'm sure our parents would be pleased about that if we talk to him rather than them in the night so we didn't wake them up now, I'll tell you what, if anyone had the right to be afraid at night time, it was David. Do you remember David? He was, on the cha- he was chased by King Saul and a big group of his army. And they wanted to get hold of David and harm him. And he was just being chased over mountains, uh, through the wilderness, had to hide in caves. But of course, they had to have sleep somewhere, didn't they? They had to have sleep. So how did David rest at night? He only had a few men, and Saul's army was going to overpower them at any point. They got so close, almost within touching distance. And do you know what David said? He said, I'm going to lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. So even though his life was under big threat, he had so much to be afraid about. He was resting in God saying, God's got it all in control. Whatever happens, I can, I can now sleep. That's the ultimate sign of being restful, isn't it? Falling off to sleep, being at peace. And so for David, knowing that God never sleeps was like a big castle to him. And he could run into that castle into knowing that God was watching over him at night time. So remember that. God never sleeps. That's great. Second thing that God never does. Who's going to put this up there? Yeah. Molly, come on in. Well done, just under that one. Great, that's fine. God never lies. I don't know what you think makes a good friend when you choose friends, when you're getting to know people at school. Lots of different things. But I think one of the greatest things to know about a friend is that you can trust them. You can trust them always to be true with you. 
You can trust them to keep the secrets that you've shared with them. That's what makes a really strong friendship. And especially as you grow up and you become an adult, who do you trust? Well, it's great to have friends that you can trust. The Bible says that God can be completely trusted. He never lies. In fact, the Bible says it's, it's an impossibility for God to lie. It's something that God can't do. Who'd have thought that, that there was something that God couldn't do? The Bible says it's impossible for him to lie. You know, God isn't out to trick us. No, no Christian ever gets to the end of their life and says, oh, found out it was all a big lie. I found out that there was no eternal life for people who put their trust in Jesus. It was all a big lie. I chose the wrong religion. No, God's not like that. He never lies. So every word he's written in the Bible, we can fully trust. And you know, I think that's a great place of safety that we can put our trust in God. We can trust every word of the Bible. So remember those two things. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man or woman or boy or girl runs into it and is safe. So he never sleeps, so you can rest at night, you can talk to God at night. He never lies, so you can fully put your trust in every word he's spoken. Good, well done. Thank you. Thanks, John. Can we have the words up for the next song? Thanks. I wonder, I wonder, when, 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 we, when we advise people how to present themselves, when we, when we say, what is the image that perhaps somebody we want to be respected would have, I'm certainly hearing quite a lot of, make sure you're strong. Make sure your position is one that shows confidence and happiness. Yet, mighty God, almighty God, came and suffered for people like us. So we do have a really good reason to rejoice that a God who could have made any choice he liked, chose to be the man of sorrows for us. So let's stand and sing.
Oh Lord our God, we ask that you will send your Holy Spirit so that we pray together, so that we know that you are here with us as we pray. Oh, we thank you that we can come to the God of heaven as our Father. And we can come to you as, as weak, as children, and as children, we can be honest with you. We thank you that you care for us and we thank you that you promise to give good gifts to us. And we pray that you will give us open hearts to you and that in our hearts as we pray to you now, we will not be pretending. Lord, you know us. You know us better than we know ourselves. You know our thoughts You know our our attitudes. You know what this week has brought to us. You know what our future next week looks from our perspective. Oh, help us. Help us to do what you tell us to do, to cast our cares on you, knowing that you care for us. Oh, but we're so glad that as we come to you as our Father, you are our Father in heaven. You are our great and our glorious God. You have always been. You always will be. And as we were thinking at the beginning of the service, you one day will see every knee of every person every knee of every power, every angel, every demon, even your great enemy, will bow before Jesus as Lord. Oh Lord, we thank you for the joy and freedom and forgiveness and welcome that comes from trusting in you, from belonging to your family. And we ask, Lord, that that will be something that If we're your children, we will know more and more deeply. Oh Lord, you know we are foolish children. So often we go chasing after things that don't really satisfy, things that don't really do us good. So often we're selfish and unkind. Oh, we thank you that Jesus died. And Jesus had to die to pay the penalty for our sins. But we thank you that whatever we've done, whatever anyone has done, however horrible, however repellent even to other people, let alone to you, the price has been paid in full by Jesus. And Lord, we ask that you will help us to love people enough to tell them about you so that when they meet you they'll be ready for it. Oh Lord, we pray that you will use the efforts that are made to tell people about you. We pray that the quiz night will be really popular, that many people will come We ask that you'll help Josh, that you'll give him a really appropriate message. But we pray that you'll take that message and that it will be life-changing for people. 
we ask that you'll help John Fuller as he gives his testimony later in the week. Oh Lord, again, we pray that that will speak to people. And we pray for all of us who know you. Oh Lord, we are your ambassadors. That's what your word tells us. Help us to be good ambassadors for you. Help us not to hide the light that we have. And help us not to disgrace the name of our Saviour. Oh Lord, we do need you to work. Oh Lord, we are so sad that many people we love have heard lots about you. They've even understood. But have chosen darkness rather than light. Oh Lord, we, we love them and we... We thank you for all the blessings that you've given them and we thank you for the blessings they bring to other people. We thank you that many of them would be seen as good people but they're without you and without hope in the world. And we pray, Lord, that you will break through into their lives, that you will turn them back to you. Oh Lord, make them ready to stand before you. Oh Lord, we who are your people struggle with many things. And you know our individual struggles. Oh Lord, we, we still pray for Steve's family and friends. Oh Lord, we pray that as time goes on, you will continue to comfort them that you will bless them and help them. Oh Lord, we we pray too for Jackie and her family. As Amber May is in hospital yet again and seems to be getting poorlier Father, we place them in your hands. We, we, we are glad that you are good. We know that you're in control. And we ask that it will be clear how you are working this for good. Oh Lord, we pray that you will give Amber May relief from her pain. We pray that you will give the medical staff real love, compassion and wisdom and we pray that Jackie and the girls will will know your comfort and your peace and your strength as the ongoing hospital is just so so heavy and tiring and sapping and Lord we, we do pray for the many people in our fellowship, in our family, who are suffering, who are ongoing pain, ongoing mental pain, ongoing physical pain, a, a sense of loneliness, a sense of despair. Oh Lord, we pray that you will comfort them. 
and ask that you will help us to be good friends to them and to care and to comfort. Oh Lord, we do thank you for the success of Caitlin's hospital visit. And we pray, Lord, that that will be a road to a good recovery for her. And we do thank you that so many things are done for us in so many ways by so many people. And we thank you, Lord, that our lives are filled with blessings. We've eaten today. We've seen your wonderful creation. And most of all, we know of your great love for us. And that makes us sad for the people of the Ukraine. It makes us sad that they are facing such an awful threat, an awful an awful loss of everything that's normal. And as we pray, we we kind of don't know how to pray. Oh Lord, we, we ask that you will stop the violence. We pray that you will stop the bloodshed. We don't understand why evil men are allowed to follow their their wicked plans in so many different parts of this world. So we pray, Lord, that you will have mercy. We pray that you will give rulers of the world wisdom. We pray especially for your people, we pray for your, your people who follow you in Russia. We ask that you will help them to be faithful to you in the land that they live in. We pray for our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine. We pray that you will give them their strong confidence in you. Lord, you know their history. You know many of them have been persecuted for you, they have known and proved that you are good, that you are a great and a loving Heavenly Father. Oh, Father, we pray that you will be specially close to them now. And we ask that as they have this hope, that this hope will be something that speaks to their neighbours, their countrymen, in this time of real trial. And we pray, Lord, that you will bless and help those who want to help, those who go to help. Do give them your strength and your wisdom. Oh, Lord, we pray that the love of Christ might be seen in the Christians in neighbouring countries, reaching out to those who are dispossessed, those who are scattered by this violence. And we pray, Lord, that you will be with us, that you will guide us and help us to face every situation, every need, in a way that pleases you. Oh, Father, we thank you that you saw our need. 
We thank you that you gave your son. And I pray, Lord, that if anyone here who belongs to you is feeling worthless and unloved, that they will be able to grab hold of the truth that the Son, the God, the Father, who gave his Son for us, can be relied on to give us everything we need. Oh, we thank you that you didn't hold back Jesus. We thank you that you gave your uh, one and only Son. We thank you that he was willing to go, and we thank you for how far he was willing to go. Help John as he teaches us about these awful events. And Father, help us to hear and change us, we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to read again from the Bible. Um, And what we're reading is a psalm that David wrote... Um, many years before Jesus. And while this is true of what David was was experiencing and was hurting about, God had given him these words to tell about how someone was hurting much, much more, how someone was going through much, much more than David ever did. So we're going to read Psalm 14. Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel, In you our fathers trusted, they trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I'm a worm and not a man. Scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me, they wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord, let let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you I was cast from my birth. And from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. 
And for my clothing, they cast lots. Our next song is going to take us into the events that John's going to be teaching us about afterwards. So let's stand and sing, Oh, to see the dawn of the darkest day.
Well, we've been heading there for some time. In fact, halfway through the book of Luke, the cross was in view when Jesus sets his face towards Jerusalem at the end of chapter 9. And now we arrive. We read in verse 26 of Luke 23 that Jesus was led to the cross. Being led to the cross is an awful business in itself. Victims were paraded through the streets uh, of Jerusalem with a a crossbeam on their back. It was a a sign of this is what happens to people who go against Rome. They were humiliated. They were downgraded. Sometimes victims were so weakened by the lashes and the beatings that they couldn't physically bear their cross. And this was the case for Jesus, the Son of God in physical weakness. Others then, passers-by, were compelled to carry the cross on their behalf. And this horrible job fell to Simon, an African from Libya, probably in Jerusalem for the Passover. In many ways it felt like he was in the wrong place at the wrong time as he got given this job. But it seems from elsewhere in the Bible that this man became a Christian and his sons. So perhaps actually he was in the right place at the right time. So the cross was carried by Jesus. We like to show strength by what we carry, don't we? We like to feel that we can manage. And yet Jesus, in coming down and suffering, allows himself to be in a position where he needs somebody else to do something for him, to carry his cross, because he is so physically weak. Maybe a help and an encouragement to others who find increasingly that others have to do things for them. Jesus knows what it's like to go through things like this. Well, as we proceed towards the cross events, we, we see lots of words being exchanged or displayed. Several of them by Jesus saying things. And Luke, in his account, focuses a lot on the words that are said by Jesus and others. And it gives a special insight on uh, who Jesus was and how he is relating in these hours. And we're going to be focused on some of them this week and uh, more on the next week. Hence the title, Cross Words. We're going to look at three of the things that were said this week and then others next. And we're going to learn things from them because Luke has put them here, the Holy Spirit has put them here for us to benefit, to think through the things that are said. And first we come across words of alarm that give us warning. Words of alarm that give us warning. Simon isn't the only one following Jesus to the cross. There is a great crowd And Luke focuses especially on the women. Uh, Women have a a particularly prominent role actually in the accounts of the cross 
and the resurrection. Indeed, Luke often in his Gospel focuses on the way that Jesus deals with women. The view that Christianity is oppressive to women, it certainly doesn't fit in with the Jesus that we see in Luke. Well, these ladies who are there following are deeply churned up by what's happening to Jesus and what's going on before their very eyes. Uh, They seem uh, compassionate and they seem courageous. Uh, The Romans didn't really want people to be showing sympathy to those who were being paraded through the streets and yet that is what these women are doing. Jesus speaks to them in their, their weeping, in their lamentation. And what he says to them seems quite startling. In many ways the words are not aimed so much at them as Jerusalem as a whole and indeed all of us that reject Jesus. We come across them in verses 28 to 31. Let me read them through and then we'll look at them a bit more. But turning to them, let's start in verse 27. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren, and the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? He redirects their their sympathy and their sorrow away from him to to themselves and to their city. Daughters of Jerusalem, verse 28, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. And that is because of what lies ahead of them. Jesus has already predicted judgment on Jerusalem because of its rejection of God's Son. In fact, he wept over Jerusalem a few chapters ago because of that. And that is what is in view here as we get into verse 29. For behold, the days are coming when... Generally, we find great joy in births and family lives. We have recently, and we look forward to it again as a congregation in coming weeks... We we enjoy the thrill, the pleasure of children. And it's a great sadness often to those who do not enjoy that pleasure for themselves. It was even more like that actually in Jewish culture. But in times of great distress, then things are sometimes turned on their heads and it is the other way round. And that's what Jesus is referring to in verse 29 when he says the days are coming when they will say blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Rome would invade and would ravage Jerusalem. That would happen in AD 70 and the suffering in the the siege, 
and the destruction would be devastating, especially devastating on families and children. Perhaps we catch a little bit of a sense of that this week in the the sadness and the fear that we have seen in the Ukraine and in the cities of the Ukraine. Maybe you've seen some of the interviews on the news. I remember seeing a couple later this week, one man with a toddler in a a pushchair in a a metro station being interviewed and his, his concern was for for the little one in the pushchair and what was going to happen to them and what would be their future. And there was another lady interviewed in a street with a a little baby and and your heart goes out to the situation as she's so concerned for her little one and the family situation. And when you have a a family in situations like that, it is is so much harder. It's hard to get up and, and go. You're not so nimble. You're not so free. You have a deep concern for the dependence on you. And Jesus said it's going to be so sad and so bad in the future that people will feel better off without families and that responsibility and that difficulty and that suffering. And in fact, times would be so bad that people would be saying unthinkable things. He says, drawing on Hosea, some things which just seem so unthinkable. Verse 30, Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. The proverb of verse 31 is it's quite difficult to fully understand. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? But I think we can understand the gist of it. Perhaps some of you have some fresh wood sometimes cut and you usually leave it before you put it on the fire perhaps a year for it to season and to dry out because fresh wood doesn't burn as well as dry wood but if in a fire the fire is perhaps so strong that the fresh green wood actually burns straight away well what would it be like for the dry wood when it goes on that was certainly raw and Jesus is saying if they're treating me like this how much worse it will be in the future for Jerusalem. So these words are alarming words, aren't they? That Jesus says to these women who are weeping. And it gives, it gives them, gives Jerusalem, gives us a warning. So we might look at these accounts, you might hear these accounts read, hear them explained, perhaps you read it sometimes yourself, and you feel sorry for Jesus. And maybe his sufferings, they they move you to tears. And and whilst that would not be, be wrong, Jesus says, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and your children. Be concerned for your godlessness, your selfishness, your rejection of me, and where that is leading to the judgment that that is bringing your way. Turn to God in repentance and faith. And if you have found safety in Christ, be concerned for others who are in that position as well and pray for them, be concerned for them. There are clearly in the Bible awesome 
consequences ahead for those who disregard God, his word, his kindness, his gifts, his son. Can you ever imagine wanting mountains to fall on you? The very thing is something that you would dread. It is a nightmare. And yet to face God without forgiveness, it, it, it is, it is how... It is how people will feel. It's explained in Revelation chapter 6 as well, verse 15. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Jesus doesn't want our sympathy. He wants our repentance. He doesn't want us to turn on the tears. He wants to turn to him in trust. This week I heard about a theological college, uh, and on Good Friday... Um, they have some very involved uh, services and approaches. They wear black cassocks. Um, uh, the chapel is dorned in black. They, they, they fast. Uh, they have three-hour-long services in thinking of the death of Jesus. And yet the person said, yet yeah, it was known that sexual immorality was going on in that college unchecked. Jesus doesn't want his, well, your tears, wants your repentance. Well, it may not be ongoing sexual immorality in our lives, but is our life totally unhinged from God, taking no notice of him, his gifts, his word, his son? Uh, Jesus doesn't want, if you like, the hankies out with sentimental tears. He wants our hearts turned to him in repentance and faith. So what he said to those people brings warning to us. Words of alarm that give us warning. Jesus is not looking for sympathy, says someone, but conversion. Well, we move on to some more words as we carry on in. Secondly, this morning, to words of compassion that give us hope. Words of compassion that give us hope. Uh, we then arrive at the cross. Uh, the details of his physical torture are sparse in the Gospels. It just says here, there they crucified him. It's clearly in line with the prophecies of the Old Testament. He's amongst criminals. Isaiah 53 verse 12 says he was numbered with the transgressors. His clothes are taken by soldiers and, and gambled on, as predicted by the last verse we read in Psalm 22. He's taunted uh, with words which are similar to those in that psalm. This is in line with Old Testament prophecies. But the words which especially stand out, or I find, I don't know about you, that find that they especially stand out for me in these next few set of verses is the prayer of verse 34. 
And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. How do you react to that prayer, to those words? Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. How can you pray like that? People cause in him so much pain, humiliation, shame, and he prays for them. My thoughts would be totally consumed with myself and what I was going through, yet he prays for them. He prays that God will forgive them. We might say, let them have it, Lord. Don't spare them as they haven't spared me. I hope they experience the pain and the shame that I'm experiencing at this moment. But he prays, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. It's a tremendous example of practising what you preach. Jesus had talked about loving your enemies, praying for those who persecute you. Here he does it. Others will later do it. Stephen does it exemplary in Acts chapter 7 to praying words of compassion and love to those causing so much harm. What do you think of President Putin right now? Actually, you're praying for his life to be taken, for him to be judged. And I believe that can have its place. I believe there are times like this when we get more insight into what happens in some of the Old Testament Psalms. I think it is at times like this that even in our numbed age we get a greater sense of righteousness and judgment and to feel President Putin suffering, experiencing God's righteous judgment, going to hell is something that we almost can feel a sense of that's right. Someone prayed in our prayer meeting on Thursday for God to have mercy on him. And that has its place too. It reflects something of the heart of Christ. Mercy for the damagers. Mercy for the harmers. Mercy for the pain causers. They didn't know what they were doing fully. They were employed. But those on the scene with the ways in which their attitudes were towards Jesus were still very guilty. And Jesus prays for those around him to be forgiven. And many were. We'll see one next week. If we were to go on to Acts 2 in Pentecost, we'd see many others who, in Jerusalem at that time, involved with the rejection of Jesus, coming to faith. Jesus prays for their forgiveness, they find forgiveness and these words of compassion, they give us hope this morning, they give us hope. We may not be President Putin's, we may not be executors of innocent people, but we've done wrong, we have ignored God, we have damaged others, we have humiliated others and yet we hear this prayer on the cross, Father forgive them. And we remember 
That's why Jesus came. That's why he's there. That's why he's on the cross. That's why he died. The children's song hymn goes, but such a cruel death he died. He was hung up and crucified and those kind hands that did such good, they nailed him to a cross of wood. And so he died and this is why. He came to be a man and die. The Bible says he came from heaven that we might have our sins forgiven. And so these words, they give us hope, don't they? This is the heart of Jesus towards people like you and me, towards those who've done wrong, who've done damage. Is it a heart of grace and forgiveness and compassion? And so it gives you hope this morning. Don't you find it gives you hope? Doesn't it make you want to trust him? Doesn't it make you want to ask for him to forgive you in the way in which he was asking for forgiveness for those around him? We have they are such great words, aren't we? We're moving on too quick really from these words. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Words of compassion. They give hope. But as we move down the last little bit of our passage, we have some more words. And we have here words of mockery that give us truth. Words of mockery that give us truth. We're in verses 35 to 38. Um, Often in the Bible, you get uh, true words from people you don't expect. Dale Ralph Davis, I read a quote in his book this week. He gives a quote and says, well, who said this? I'd be thinking, who said this? Who do you reckon quoted these words? I, I wouldn't offer a cigar or cigarette to anyone I admired or loved since I would be doing them a bad service. It is universally agreed that non-smokers live longer than smokers and that, smoker, uh, and that during sickness they have more resistance who said that well my sermon's not on the pros and cons of smoking but you think well that's somebody who sounds quite principled and considerate and thoughtful caring so I tell you whose words they are they're Adolf Hitler's words Adolf Hitler's words true words said by an unlikely person. And that's sometimes true in the Bible. Words that are said, sometimes in jest, a sarcasm or mockery uh, are true words. And at our cross scene there is a, a lot of mockery. There's two groups in our passage today. Uh, there'll be another one added to it next week. Today it's the rulers in verse 35 and it's the soldiers in verse 36 yet there's still some truth even in their jesting the rulers scoffed at him saying in verse 35 he saved others 
Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. He saved others. He did save others through his life. He would save others. He was saving others. To save himself would be to not save others. He had to go through with it. He is the Christ, the chosen of God. He needed to lay down his life. He was the Saviour. On the cross there are others seeing him as the person who saves. And that's how I see him. That's how I see him. The person who saves. The Saviour. There was a plaque above Jesus. It was in different languages. Sometimes you see signs. We go to Wales, everything's doubled up in different languages, isn't it? On the cross there was a sign which was in different languages. It's in three languages. And this is what it says, we're told in verse 38. This is the king of the Jews. This is the king of the Jews. Again, it was mocking. You know how they treated him like a king in some of the previous verses we looked at. I think I think Pilate realised there was some truth in it if you see what's said by him, about him in one of the Gospels. Luke had often emphasised the kingdom in the teaching of Jesus. Here is the king, the king on the cross. King's Cross is not just a, a railway station, not just a monopoly property. It's a description of Calvary, the King's Cross. The King's Cross. This is the King of the Jews. The King. And this is how I see him. This is how I see him. Is that how you see this crucified one, son of God? Do you see him as the one who saves? Do you see him as the one who is king? Do you see him as your saviour? Do you see him as your king? I encourage you to put your trust in Jesus as the saviour and as the king. Trust him for forgiveness and to have him as the leader of your life. So we hear words of truth in the mockery. Saviour and king. And next week we'll see someone else who came to see Jesus as saviour and king as we carry on following through some of the cross words. So I hope you'll get into these wonderful words that we're travelling through in Luke at the moment and realise how special, how important, how personal they are. Well, our last song follows on especially well from this. It talks about him as a king, 
in the chorus it will quote the prayer that he prayed makes us think about, think about our sin which uh, put him there on the cross our need for his forgiveness so shall we sing very thoughtfully come and see, come and see come and see the king of love see the purple robe, robe and crown of thorns he wears
Lord, we do thank you for this place where wrath and mercy meet. We thank you that there is forgiveness with you because of the death of your Son. We pray that you would bring us to a place of repentance over our own sin and trust in the wonderful, compassionate Saviour. Make us thoughtful. So the things that we have looked at this morning, we pray in his name. Amen.